0: And if we're going to title the message, it's going to be Prayer and Your Mission. Prayer and Your Mission. Uh, When you find it, Luke chapter 10, I want you to look at verse 2. Verse, therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now this is a pretty common missions or, or evangelism passage that uh, I'd like to look at from just a little different perspective. Uh, do we understand that a prayer for laborers is a prayer for laborers? It's a, it's a prayer for those who will evangelize their friends and their family and their neighbors and their co-workers. Uh, do we understand that not only are we to pray for them, but we're to pray for them. I mean, you ever wonder where these evangelizers come from? Where, where do people come from that tell their friends and family and coworkers about Christ? Uh, is, is there some laborer tree that, that they fall off of when, when they get ripe? Is there some gumball machine in heaven where, you know, when the Lord needs one, he'll, he'll you know, just crank the handle and out one will roll? Well, no, we, we know it doesn't work like that. Laborers for the harvest come from... You. They come from the chairs you're sitting in. They come from churches just like this one. So why are we to pray for laborers to be sent into the harvest? Why are we to pray for laborers? It's because there is a shortage of laborers. You know, God says that the road to hell is wide and it's it's easy to find. He says most people will take this wide, easy road to hell, but he continues and says that the way to heaven is hard. It's narrow. Okay, it's hard to find. It's narrow to walk on. He also states that there will be relatively few in comparison that find this narrow road. God also says that the only way people find this hard-to-find narrow road, this way to heaven, is if they are told about it. See, no one is saved in a vacuum or in an absence of the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. You Remember Romans chapter 10, verses 12 to 15. It says, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14 says, how then shall they call on him... um, in whom they have not believed well they really can't and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard they can't and how shall they hear without a preacher without a proclaimer without somebody to tell them well they won't then how shall they preach except they be sent again that can't happen Someone must tell them, and even then not all who hear will get saved. But if someone is going to find the narrow way, which is and is only Jesus Christ, they must be told the gospel. If they are not told the gospel, they have absolutely no chance of finding and coming to Jesus Christ. People continue on the wide road to hell when Christians, when you and I do not preach to them, so to speak, the good news of Jesus Christ. So here it is. People are going to hell. They're already condemned in their sins. I need to hit a button. Hold on. They're already condemned in their sins. Only the blood of Jesus can wash their sins away, and you know whose blood they need in order for that to happen. You know what they need to know to find the way to heaven, right? You know what is wrong. You know the condition that they're in before God. And if there is something wrong, those who have the ability to take action have the responsibility to take action. Let me say that again. If there is something wrong, those who have the ability to take action have the responsibility to take action. So why then are we not praying for laborers to be sent into the field? I think it's a misunderstanding of the relationship between prayer and missions, between prayer and evangelism. Just as a husband can misunderstand the relationship between a thoughtless comment to his wife at breakfast and then a night on the couch that evening. Just as, as a child can misunderstand the relationship between finger paints and mom's good tablecloth. Just as a wife can misunderstand the relationship between her man's desire to fix things and his ability to fix things, maybe we have misunderstood the relationship uh, that prayer has to laboring in the field, to evangelism, to to reaching the lost. Now, Now, we've not misunderstood that there's a great harvest. I think we get that we've not run out of lost people to preach to we can look at the animal like behavior of the gangs and looters and marauders and the political riots that we see today and we can we you know we can't say with a straight face that there's a shortage of sinners okay that that's not it remember back uh, a couple of years ago where you could read where the islamic extremists were rejoicing at the various Devastations of the hurricanes and the wildfires that were going through our country, uh, saying that they were sent by Allah against the evil West. And I think there's a, I think there's a plethora of people to preach the gospel to. We can't read our own papers. We can't listen to their, our our own news broadcasts and miss that most grossly most of the seven and a half billion people on this planet are lost I think that we understand we've not misunderstood that God still calls people into service I mean we we get that God has not stopped recruiting we know that God uses means to convey grace. We know that he uses means to get the word out of his grace, and one of the means that he uses is us. I mean, after all, we are commanded to pray for something, and we can rest well assured that this is the kind of prayer God will answer. I mean, if God says, pray this, it's a 100% chance, of that prayer being answered, if we would just pray it, I mean, every confidence. When God says, "Pray to Me for laborers," do you think God's going to say no? The Great Commission, still commanded. Go ye therefore, or as you are going, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. All right. We, Christians, are the one who God commands to go and to teach and to send to other places those that we can't go that still have people that need to hear. I think we understand this. I mean, he's commanded every Christian to loudly Regularly proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we also understand that the laborers are few. We understand that we've dropped the ball, shirked our responsibility. We understand that we haven't witnessed as we should. Remember the information I gave you uh last week and and, and the week before? I've, done a little research, I've updated some information on the statistics of uh, the age of the missionaries in relation to those that we presently have on the field. Uh, They've shifted just a little bit. Um, But in the Baptist Bible Fellowship, the Southern Baptist Convention, a couple other independent missionary organizations, um, the numbers have gone up that in the next five years, 80% of our missionaries are going to be 60 or older. Um, I never wanted to be a statistic, but I'm a statistic. Right? I, I fit in that category. The attrition rate is now equal to the influx of new missionaries. Now what that means is that, that you know, we used to have more new missionaries coming in and heading to the field than we had on the other end retiring or passing away. Uh, but now we have just as many coming in as we do going out, and if this trend continues, soon there's going to be more leaving than there are coming in. We understand there's a shortage of missionaries. We understand there's a shortage of evangelizers, uh, preachers of the word of God. We know we don't tell our friends and neighbors about Christ. If we're honest with ourselves, we could admit that. I mean, where will this church be in 20 years if we don't start evangelizing now? I mean, we get that our coworkers often don't even know that we go to church. We comprehend that people we see day in and day out are going to hell, and we're not lifting a finger to do anything about it. We get that. We understand that the laborers are few because we're one of the ones not laboring. All of that. We understand, we comprehend, we get it, all right? But we have misunderstood the relationship between prayer and laboring on the field. That I don't think we understand. Part of what we've missed here is this, is that life is war. Now It's other things, but life is war. We cannot understand what prayer is for until we know, until we believe, until we understand that life is war. Spiritual warfare is real. Every aspect of our life, if we know Jesus as our Savior, every aspect of our life is spiritual in nature. The world, the devil, our own sinful flesh is at war with the Holy Lord God Almighty our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this. We don't understand the stakes. We don't understand the determination of our enemy to ruin us. Now, prayer is primarily, not only, but primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of this church as it advances the powers of darkness or advances into the powers of darkness and unbelief. Now, it's not surprising that prayer malfunctions because we forget that life is war. Then we try to set up this wartime walkie-talkie as a domestic intercom so we can call upstairs for a few comforts. See, God has given us prayers, this wartime walkie-talkie, so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances into a dark, sinful, fallen world. Laboring for the lost is given as a reason or as a field for prayer. And the connection between prayer and laboring can be seen in John chapter 15, verse 16. It doesn't use warfare words, John 15:16. Uh, but it deals with the same reality. Jesus is saying, "You've not chosen me, but I have chosen you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye ask, in, ask of the Father in my name, He may give it you." Now now listen to it again. Right. you've not chosen me, but I have chosen you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father, that's prayer, okay, In my name He may give it you. That's the answer to the prayer. Now the logic of the sentence is crucial. Why is the Father going to give the disciples what they ask in Jesus' name? The answer is, because they've been sent, to bear fruit. The reason the Father gave the disciples the instrument of prayer here is because Jesus has given them a mission, and that is reaching the lost, preaching the gospel, world evangelism. In fact, the grammar of John 15, 16 implies that the reason that Jesus gave them the mission in the first place Well, so they'd be able to use the power of prayer to accomplish it. I've chosen you that you should go and bring forth fruit. So whatever you ask in the name, you know, ask of my father in my name, I'm, you know, he's, 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 he's going to answer that prayer for you. It's another way of saying that prayer is this wartime walkie-talkie, this wartime radio that God designed it and gave it to us for our mission to use it on the mission you can say that mission is to bear fruit you can say that the mission is to set the captives free but the point is the same prayer is designed to extend the kingdom of God into fruitless enemy territory Now, probably the number one reason that prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that we try to turn this wartime walkie-talkie, as we mentioned, into a domestic intercom. And until you know, until you believe that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is really for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of the mission that Christ has sent us on. Our wartime mission. It is as though the field commander, Jesus, called in the troops, that's us, gave them the crucial mission, that's to go and bear fruit, go and preach the gospel, go and find the lost, give to those going where you can't, all right? Handed each of them this personal transmitter, coded to the frequency of the general's headquarters. And he says this, soldiers, the general has a mission for you. He aims to see it accomplished, and to that end, he has authorized me, Jesus, to give each of you, that's us, personal access to him through these transmitters. If you stay true to his mission, if you seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter. He'll give you tactical advice, he'll send air cover, he'll send suppressing fire when you need it but what we have done is we've stopped believing that life is war. There's no urgency. There's no watching. There's no vigilance. There's no strategic planning. It's just easy peace and prosperity, and what did we do with this wartime walkie-talkie? We tried to rig it up as an intercom in our houses, our cabins, our boats, our cars, not to call firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask for more comforts, to ask for more toys, to ask for an easy life. We're using this wartime walkie-talkie to call upstairs for a bag of chips and a Diet Coke. That's not what it was intended for. That has nothing to do with helping us in us pressing into enemy territory to rescue the captives to set them free with the gospel of Jesus Christ Now do you see how we have misunderstood this relationship between prayer and laboring prayer and missions prayer and evangelism we must pray for new soldiers we must pray for new recruits if you will We must pray for laborers, and we must entertain the certainty that the commander will send us out into the fray, out onto the battlefield, as the answer to our own prayer. Boy, that raises the stakes, doesn't it? Are you afraid to be the answer to your own prayer? Are you afraid of leaving your comfort zone? Are you too fat and happy with your 2.3 kids and your two cars and your second mortgage and your new clothes? Have you heaped to yourselves circles of like-minded and self-centered friends that you guys console each other in your disobedience? Have you become hard-hearted, unloving, uncaring, prideful, self-absorbed, deprioritized of the things of God? Will we not surrender our will to that of God's will. Maybe, maybe we think we can take better care of ourselves at home than God, than, than than God can take care of us on the harvest. That's uh, a foolish, foolish way of thinking. If God calls us to the battlefield and He has, then we are safer in obedience to the Lord facing the enemy then we are staying at home in disobedience. You're always safer in obedience than you are in disobedience. I've told you the story of my father, who was determined to make sure that once Becky and I had surrendered to the mission field, that his little grandkids, and they were quite young then, um, would not go to a, a country um, like a country in Africa, or some some other third world country was was, was his his phrase, he didn't realize um, what he was saying really we didn't realize the extent of this until after we committed to Alaska but having been over in some of those countries and seeing through unsaved eyes he was sure that he you know, that, that's no place for my little granddaughters he would say and he threatened what he called legal action I don't, don't really know what that was because it never happened but, but he threatened legal action should we ever take them someplace like that no, we had to, with respect, tell him that, no, we, we need to obey God rather than him, no matter the threats, no matter the cost. See, the thinking is common. It's even common in churches that, 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 that we, we foolishly think that we're going to be safer or our kids are going to be safer or our grandchildren are going to be safer out of God's will then they will be in god's will in a foreign country but that's foolish we're never safe in disobedience but then again harvests don't harvest themselves people don't surrender to the call of god who are lost unsaved church members really you know everything they do is displeasing to god because they are lost And my dad has watched how God has provided for us. My dad has seen the hand of God in our life. And he now understands it is better to do things God's way than our way. See, some people, they try to pray and send so they don't have to go others will try to pray and go so they don't have to sin. But you know, we are to pray for laborers. We are to send laborers where we can't go. And we are to go where we can. We are responsible for Juno. Yes, there are other good churches in town and they are also responsible for Juno, but but no, we are responsible for Juno. See, everyone is to pray, and you send those to go where you can't go, and you go where you can. And The command for laborers stands. The command to pray for laborers stands. The commander wants to send soldiers to the front lines, and oh, don't be the hang-up. Don't be, don't be the deserter. Uh, don't be the Christian who won't pray for laborers so the gospel can be preached. Don't be the child of God who refuses to go where God sends you. You don't be afraid of the of the certainty that as you're praying for labors god will call you to answer your own prayer it might be on the mission field It'd very likely be right here where you live and of course front lines are different for each person you know you may not be able to go to the mission field god may not call you and <laughs> You do not want to go unless God has called you. But you can go to a ministry of the church. You can walk across your yard. You can lean across the counter. Don't, don't lean too close nowadays for a while, but you, you know what I mean. You can walk across the street, right? You can do that. You can talk to somebody at the checkout line. You can walk across a room... That's your field. See where the future missionaries going to come from? The new recruits, where are they going to come from? Remember the figures? 80%? 60 or older in less than five years? Where's the new missionaries going to come from? How will the lost hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? You've got to get the people that can over to the people that need it. So we're behind the curve. We need to pray in earnest for laborers to be sent the harvest is great workers are needed so i've got to ask you are you going to go are you going to go reach your people for christ right? are you going to step out into your mission field wherever that is are you going to pray for other laborers to be sent where you can't go See, he, he, he is sending you to tell them. Maybe we just haven't been doing it. And those that go to places that you can't, they, they need funds. They need money. God's ordained, for the most part, the monetary system. This world rolls on money. We need money because that's how you buy things. It's very practical. It doesn't sound very spiritual. But what you do with your money is a good gauge of your spirituality. What you do with your money, yeah, that, uh, that lets you know just where your heart's dialed into. Will you be part of the supply line? Will you pray so others will be sent where they are needed? Will you call in air support? Will you call in cover fire for those soldiers that are on the field? Will you give? Will you go and will you pray for laborers to go? Now, I can't answer that for you. It is absolutely between you and the Lord. But we have to accept the responsibility that we've been given by God to reach the world for Christ, whether that's here or anywhere else on the globe, and we have to entertain the certainty that God will use us to answer our own prayers. And we have got to be open, we have got to be willing, or we are disobedient and therefore not safe. We're safe in God's will no matter where you are. There's no place you can hide if you're disobedient. God says to pray for laborers. Maybe we ought to start praying for laborers. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, this morning again, we want to thank you for your word, for its authority, We want to thank you for your provision. We want to thank you for your protection, for your love and your grace. And Lord, you have been so incredibly patient with us. So, Father, I pray that you will set our souls afire. That you'll light a fire in us that cannot be quenched, that desire to obey you and to see lost souls come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, this is one of those prayers that seems like it's a, kind of a given that you would answer. That you would empower us to obey you. You'll help us, Lord. Empower us to say no to our flesh. Yes to your spirit's leading. The Lord, as you give us opportunity, divine appointments they've been called. The Lord, we see them for what they are. And we trust you. To bring to mind those portions of your word that need to be said, because we know faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Thank you, Father, that you've not given us our opinion to tell them, you've not given us our thoughts to tell them, but you've given us your word, sure and solid and authoritative. And you have promised that your word will not return void, that it will accomplish your purpose. So, Father, embolden us to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Mike, would you come ahead, please?